room is buzzing with the sound of your alarm. Your eyelids are still heavy. You scan your bed for your phone. You remember the last parts of your dream before it hits you. It's Monday morning. Waiting in line for your morning coffee, you scroll through photos you were tagged in over the weekend. A reminder pops on the screen. Don't forget to read pages 8 through 12 for lecture. With your coffee in hand, it's off to campus. You got class in 10 minutes. Walking to your car after class, you see just as an officer writes you a ticket. But there was nowhere else to park, and you were nearly late anyway. Day has just begun, but you're already tired. You've got work soon, you promised you'd stop by home this afternoon, and you still have to submit your paper by 11.55 tonight. Your heart sinks. Your backpack gets heavy, but tomorrow's your day off. No class, and you can sleep in. You think to yourself, I got this. I'm an adult. Today is all about adulting. Doing the things we need to do even when a million other things are vying for our attention. We're talking about the roles we play in our families, balancing work and life, managing our time, and how we react when life happens and things just don't go as planned. Out of the Science Education and Society Lab at the University of Rhode Island, I'm Jossie Alexander, and this is Hidden Curriculum. DJ Perez is a senior cell and molecular biology major and a chemistry minor at the University of Rhode Island. As a first-gen student and part-time worker, she knows all too well the pressure that can come from being the first in your family to be on track to earn a college degree. I have to do it. It has to get done. I have to graduate. I have to go as far as I can because I'm the only one. I'm like the one that's being relied on. Like everybody's just waiting for me to make it happen. This isn't a feeling exclusive to first-gen students. It might sound familiar for a lot of us. For many of us, adulting and the first-gen experience started way before we ever stepped foot on a campus. It began when we had to be a second mom or dad to our younger siblings, when we picked up our first job to help out at home, when we were the house translator or the one who everybody brought the important documents to double check. Many of us who feel this pressure have been adulting for a while, and it usually starts at home. I'm everything in my family, okay? I just <laughs> I just had this conversation with Sabrina, my best friend. We were in the car talking about how so much is placed on us and we're not even like grown, grown, you know what I mean? Like we're still living at home when we're not on campus, when we're not living on campus. I'm definitely the glue that keeps my family like together but because like I'm the mediator between everything. Um, when anybody needs help, they'll call me, or when like I'm the middleman, when people are arguing, they come to me. When, people, when anybody needs help, they know I'm there. I'm always there. That's awesome. Deidre loves her family, especially her niece, Carmen. She's Deidre's most favorite person in the world. She makes time to visit on the weekends between work, campus involvement, and studying, but she said it can be stressful because of the different roles she plays and all of her responsibilities. So um, when I have like, work to do over the weekend i try to like do it as fast as i can because i know if i don't get it done fast i'm gonna get distracted by somebody needing something it's just yeah difficult for me to bring it home they don't understand like oh are you doing homework can you like help me with the baby really quick not really 
I need to get this done in an hour, <laughs> you know? Desiree said that sometimes to get things done, she feels like she has to detach herself from what's going on at home. I'm definitely emotionally invested in my family. Of course, they're my family, but like, if I were more emotionally invested, I would have probably dropped out of school by now. Yeah. I, you have to detach in a way. If I was, like I said, if I was more emotionally invested, I would be at home with my family, trying to figure things out. Instead of here living on campus, trying to be away from them and get my, get my shit together, so. So right now, I have my niece with me. It's affecting my school right now um, because I can't study. It's hard for me to study. Um, my, but everybody's like working or doing their own thing. And like, I don't want my niece to be like in an unstable environment. I don't want her to be with like a random person taking care of her. So I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna take her with me. Whether, I don't care if it's sacrifice, like I have to sacrifice my grade for her. Like I would do anything for my niece. She's like an innocent kid. So like when I get calls in the middle of the night before an exam, like it's just so hard for me to study. When Like when I go home, I can't study at all. That's why I'm living on campus. Cause I cannot live at home. It's just, yeah. So my grades are definitely being affected by my home environment, even though I'm not home. I'm not failing or anything, but I could be doing way better. I asked Desiree to think about all of her roles and responsibilities, school, work, relationships. And with all of that in mind, describe the percentage of her time and mental space she feels like she can really dedicate to her academic life. Here's what she said. Like 45. I try to, <laughs> I try so hard. Like on the weekends, I would try to go to the library. It's just, it doesn't work out. I, can, I can't give my all. I wish I could, because I know I'd make a 4.0. But sadly, there's so many other aspects of my life that I have to dedicate to. And I feel like that's a lot more important for my sanity, for my sake. Like, I know school is, is I have to give a lot to my school, to schooling. Like, I have to be there. I have to do what I have to do, but like, in order for me to get through school, I also have to manage the other part of my life, the other aspects of my life. I have to manage with my family. I have to make, I have to make the money to pay what I have to pay. Because if not, then I won't be able to give my all at school. I'd be stressing over this. I'd be stressing even more about my family, and then I'd be able to, I'd be giving less to school. So it's just, it's hard to balance it all out. Balance. Ask any student or faculty how to be successful in college, and I assure you this will come up in conversation. See, adulting and being a good student have this one thing in common. If nothing else, they're both huge balancing acts. We balance work with fun, good grades with professional development and experience, our wants with our needs. Finding balance is critical, and when you play an integral part in the family, even more so. If you haven't already, I encourage everyone to have conversations with family members. Talk about your class schedule, your course load, and the time you really need to be successful. Schedule time for weekly check-ins. Set boundaries. When is a good time for a call, and when are you unreachable? You may feel guilty for eliminating time for addressing family concerns, maybe even selfish. But the reality is, 
you can't help anyone until you've helped yourself. I'm not saying these conversations are always easy to have. Sometimes, without the first-hand experience, it can be difficult to relate to family, friends, what we deal with as students. Here's Deja Ray explaining what these experiences are like for her. So I'll be like doing it like, this is so hard. And my mom's like, let me help. And I'm like, okay, look at that. And she's like, well, I've never seen that before. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, every so often I'm, well, not every so often, I'm always stressed. So I'd be like, oh my God, I'm so stressed. My mom's like, why? <laughs> what do you mean, why? <laughs> this is hard navigating school, work, interning you people family is <laughs> just hard and she's like oh okay <laughs> like that's yeah oh i don't see why it's so hard how about you try it and you'll see how hard it is it just... adulting requires a lot of practice each and every day we learn to be independent responsible and resilient we learn about ourselves and how we manage time and stress and that's the most valuable part because these lessons carry over and ultimately make life so much easier. For me, a sense of adulting came sort of like an aha moment, an epiphany. I started by learning to manage my time using day planners, alarms, agendas. Becoming aware of what tasks and assignments I needed to complete got rid of a lot of anxiety and stress for me. I noticed when I stuck to my study regimen, the one specifically for my busy schedule, exams weren't as intimidating. I was confident because I knew I put in the time. I even had it written down to remind myself. Though I had been self-supporting for some time, working, making my own meals, etc., it wasn't until I learned to free up mental space through time management that I felt like an adult. That was my experience. But a lot of us start the work of adulting before we even know it. My mom been here for quite a while. And last year was when she became a citizen. So she's been taking classes on and off on learning the language English, but she hasn't learned. Beverly De La Cruz likes to go by Bev. She's a public relations major at URI and a cornerstone in her family. Bev and her family are from DR, the Dominican Republic. Bev and her sisters are bilingual, but their mom only speaks Spanish. Bev says she plays several roles in her family, like mediator, supporter, translator. She grew up helping the family in ways that she never questioned. It was just natural to her. She didn't think about it or label it. Uh, there was like always an issue when my going to applying, well, not even just doing anything, um, like going to appointments, like any, literally anything on the phone. My mom didn't speak English, so me and my sisters, we were like the, my mom's voice for English and anything. So my older sister took that upon her, and when my older sister was in there, obviously me, and then so on and so forth. So when I was applying for college, I was doing it all by myself. I'm more of that independent, like I'm literally like an, I'm an adult that just lives with her mother. Barely, just on weekends. Going to TD, we had to like sign some paperwork to see if it's okay for our parents to check our grades and all that, whatever. If they call, and I wrote no, like didn't just think about it, it just wrote no. And I got called by Mr. G, and I was like already like scared or whatever. And he was just like, So I, I seen that 
you said that you didn't want your mother to know. I was like, it's not like I don't want to. It's just like, there's no point because my mom is not going to call here because none of you guys speak Spanish. Anything I do, she won't know, you know, because she doesn't speak the language that we do. So that's always been that barrier of she can't cross this way because she she just doesn't know, you know, it's foreign to her. Even though she's been here for Even a while. Even though at home, she'd already taken on responsibilities that weren't so common for the average teen. Bev felt like she didn't really start adulting until she got her first job and realized all the challenges that came with paying bills and balancing work with the other parts of her and, life. Um, I never noticed how many things needs to get paid, like all this stuff, until I got a job. Like these bills came out of nowhere. So that was my reality check. Bev said her first job posed challenges because it offset the balance she had created between school and self-care. She said her obligation to support the family made communicating and dealing with stress all the more difficult. I have to balance school, I have to balance home and work, and my mental state, that's when it was like, I don't think I could do this all. And I couldn't communicate that with my mom because my struggles are different from her struggles. So my reality check was literally like, I had to pay for, I'm working to pay for school because she can't pay it. I'm working to pay for all this stuff like food and all that stuff for, for a school because she can't pay it. So that's where it all hit me. So like when in freshman year, it, it wasn't, I didn't really think about that because she was still giving me like, oh, something, something or whatever. But it literally, everything changed as soon as I got a job. So it was- Bev like, said communicating her struggles to her mom was difficult because she just had not had that experience to relate to her. She said the disconnect was similar to another major life experience she had. I, I lost my dad. So when people keep coming, oh, my condolences, I feel you. I feel your pain. I'm so sorry. Like this, all that, like, like stuff like that, you know, it's like my mom can, can't say, I feel your pain. You have, you can't, you can't lose a parent. You can't not, not lose a parent, you know, and say, oh, I feel for you. No, you don't. Cause you don't know what that feels like. So when my mom says, I understand Beverly that you're going through stuff, but no, you don't, because you didn't go through these struggles. You know what I'm saying? So We can sometimes feel like we're two separate people as first-gen college students. At school, we might be the hard-working silent type or the outgoing friend. At home, we might feel like someone else. We find balance. We manage our time to study, to work, to spend time with friends, connect and help family, and care for ourselves. We make lists use planners, timers, and the countless other strategies we use to keep ourselves accountable, productive, and successful. We try our best to keep it all together, but sometimes things fall apart, move out of our control. Sometimes life happens. I am a first-generation college student. I am Mexican-American. My parents are immigrants from Mexico. I went to community college, transferred to San Diego State, and survived cancer and eventually got my PhD from Vanderbilt University. I love to dance. I love my dog. And I love my favorite food is my grandmother's chilaquiles, the red ones. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Denise was 23 when she was diagnosed with a brain tumor. She was in her last semester of undergrad and trying her best to grasp the entirety of her illness and keep moving forward. That was really challenging for me because the way I coped, and it wasn't probably the, healthy, the most healthiest coping mechanism, was to put that in a box and put it away. Um, but that's what I had to do in that moment to be able to move forward and to finish and to graduate.
And so for that semester, I didn't have any treatment because I went for a year of what they call the surveillance year or a watch and see. You basically MRI every three months. So for me, it was a lot more emotionally taxing, I feel, um, to have to deal with that. And not only that, like, um, I kind of kept it a secret, which is a lot harder um, for my family. So only my immediate family knew. So that was my mom, my dad, and my brother. But I'm very close to my family. So that's my grandparents, my aunts, my cousins. As a family, we decided not to tell them because I wasn't gonna have anything immediately. Like the, the treatment wasn't gonna start the next month. Um, no decision, no medical decisions had been made. And so I just wanted to live a normal life as much as possible to have kind of that, you know, that freedom to just go somewhere and not have to be worried about consistently ask, um, answering questions about my health. Um, so I think for that, that part for me was emotionally challenging. Denise's diagnosis brought a lot of changes. Not just to her personal family life, but to her academic life as well. And it was also very difficult to inform professors um, and deans of my condition because I knew that there would be some struggles for me to finish assignments, to take tests. So I had actually talked to a dean and asked them for a more allotted time on a final exam because I was just not feeling very well. And luckily that dean was very accommodating and let me take that exam with allotted time. So those were challenges for me, for me not only to accept what was happening to me at the moment, but also to kind of make arrangements to accommodate that and still have to graduate. One of Denise was determined to graduate, to get healthy. She knew to accomplish her goals, she needed to identify and take advantage of the resources and opportunities around her. She knew she had to do the work. I really tapped into a support group during that time. So I, I um, joined the San Diego Brain Tumor Foundation and they welcomed me with open arms. They're a grassroots community in San Diego. And basically what it is, is it's just a support group where people just sit around and talk. And it can go from telling jokes um, to being really serious, to asking advice about treatments, medications, doctors. So I found it really enlightening to be in a group with people who were going through the same thing. So my biggest advice to somebody who's going through a chronic illness or has a situation is to find a community, a support group, because you will no longer feel lonely. And I think that was one of the feelings I was feeling then is that, you know, my parents were really supportive, but they didn't know how I felt. So, but, so I did all of my treatment and I wasn't in school during that time, but I was working. Um, so the San Diego Brain Tumor Foundation was really great, you know, through just the diagnosis, the treatment. Um, I also started um, therapy. So I found a great therapist um, who I had a great relationship with because, um, again, friends and family can only do so much for you. Um, and I also felt kind of like a burden because and I know that it was both sides because I, I noticed that people started to change their conversations around me. They didn't want to tell me about their problems because they were like, oh, she's gonna feel like my problems are dumb comparing to what she's going through. And I would consistently tell my friends and family, like, no, please tell me about your problems. It makes me feel normal to be able to have a normal conversation and not just have to be like, oh my God, you know, like I'm, you know, have to talk about my situation, my cancer, or the, the chemo, or the radiation, or how terrible I felt, because it was terrible. Um, and so I, the, the therapist was a really great, like, outside resource that I had, because they're unbiased. And so I also recommend 
for anyone who is going through anything just to go find somebody and an unbiased source and therapy I feel is like the best way to do it. Denise beat her cancer. She graduated from San Diego State and went on to complete a degree at Vanderbilt University. Today, she's a postdoc at Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center. So life is challenging. There's all kinds of twists and turns, hills and valleys, and adulting is the practice of taking our lives into our own hands and trying our best to put our best foot forward each and every day. Some things in life are out of our control, but it's how we respond to those challenges that matter. Adulting is so much more than chores and appointments. It's a learning experience. We learn how to manage time and stress, how to stay resilient in the face of adversity and hard time, how to accept and seek out help and care for ourselves. In college, adulting can be going to office hours when you just don't get it. Previewing before class to make sure you're prepared for lecture, finding the balance between family, work, and personal time, and having the courage to ask questions and ask for help. We'd love to hear when you started adulting and what it means to you. Send us your questions, comments, and thoughts at hiddencurriculumpod at gmail.com. Hidden Curriculum is a project supported by the Science, Education, and Society Lab at the University of Rhode Island. This story was produced and edited by myself, Josie Alexander, with the help of Liz Maylene Ramos and Angelica Miranda. The music for this episode was produced by Jay Rose, Mon Placer, NK Music, and Lee Rosevere. Be sure to subscribe to Hidden Curriculum on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Thanks for tuning in to Hidden Curriculum.